0: I want to do a shout out to one of our amazing partners, Banzoogle. Now Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website for artists. Now I've personally have used web builders for years, in fact the 8020 Records website is maintained by yours truly. But honestly, these days, as someone who represents artists, I just want something straightforward that still looks amazing and works with everything that we use, such as Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Bands of Town, Printful, and so forth. And Banzoogle checks off all of these. Also, for those of you who have no idea how to build websites, don't worry, they make it super easy there too. You do not need to know a single line of code. In fact, after you sign up, they go step-by-step through each part of the process to get you up and running. Plus, their pricing is practically the same as if you paid for a web host. So really, it's a no-brainer. Lastly, and most importantly, what I love about Banzoogle is the people. Every single person I've spoken to has been nothing but kind and extremely responsive and helpful. They truly care about the artists that use their platform. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Go listen to my interview with Stacey Bedford, the CEO of the company. Banzoogle is also offering to all our listeners 15% off the first year of any subscription. Just enter the promo code 8020SHOW or 8020SHOW, like the numbers, on Banzoogle.com. I'll also put it in the description. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle. You're listening to The 8020 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello and welcome everybody to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Leanne Devey, co-founder and principal of Three Co's, a consulting firm focused on leadership and team building. In this interview, we discuss how to handle conflict, everything from setting expectations with your team or bandmates, whether you should have written agreements, how to approach someone when a conflict arises, and the concepts of accountability and conflict debt. We unpacked a lot in this episode, and honestly, this is so important for all of us. It's not a matter of if, but when we have a conflict and how to best handle it. It is my honor and pleasure to give you Leanne Davy. Hey, Leanne, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm great, Mike. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it.
1: I'm so excited. Let's dive in.
0: Yes, Absolutely. So uh, I actually, real quick, before we want to start the interview, I always like to mention about where I get my guests, because so much about the music industry is about networking. And I always emphasize this in almost every single episode. And we have a mutual friend, Matt Jenko, who also has been a guest on the 8020 Show podcast. In fact, he's also interviewed me before. And he's such an amazing person. He's the kind of person that you can easily go two to three hours having a conversation with and didn't even know that three hours went by.
1: Absolutely. Matt is one of my favorite people in the whole world. And because we work together, I get to spend an hour with him every week. Um, And uh, it's never enough. But, you know, he's one of those people that can make every email he sends. I'm so excited to open because his emails are works of art. So yes. And as soon as he said that uh, I had to speak with you, that was just a no brainer for me. That was like, okay, let's do it.
0: Same with me, same with me. <laughs> so, I want to talk about how you got into psychology because I noticed that you went to co- college for both your bachelor's and your PhD. So, was psychology always your path in life or was
1: Oh, oh, oh no, my no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was pre-med.
0: <laughs> oh, really?
1: Absolutely. And then I uh, belly flopped calculus in a pretty spectacular way it was sort of like a high dive belly flop and uh so one of the things i learned about myself in that moment was that i'm i'm stubborn and or tenacious is maybe the nicer word and so i signed up to take that same calculus class again the next year but i had to i had to change my major reevaluate my life and so i decided uh on psychology and physiology because i i really liked biology and that kind of thing and I couldn't take many of the psychology courses in my second year because they were—you uh, had to have the math prerequisite—and so I was trying to take some psych classes that didn't have prerequisites to spend my time well and catch up in the summer. And I took this course called Industrial Organizational Psychology, and I fell deeply, madly, monogamously in love with this subject. <laughs> I have been doing it. That was oh my goodness, I don't even want to say 32 years ago, that was. (laughs) And, um, and I just adore this field. So no, it is not where I started or what I imagined, uh, and boy, am I am I glad I failed calculus and discovered organizational
0: psychology. I was about to say, like it's amazing that the the fact that you that you that math was basically in your way has led you into the career that you ended yes. up spending.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, you know what? Take your greatest failures and figure out what that says about you. So I did learn Absolutely. both that calculus was not going to be my thing. And also that and actually, to my credit, I got a 75. The second time I took it. So I was pretty proud of that. So I learned I am a very tenacious non math person.
0: Is that also why you found yourself uh, obsessed with conflict as well? Because because you, you not only do with team building and with industrial with team building and leadership, but specifically with conflict.
1: Specific, yes. So this is also from failure comes rebirth. So uh, I am terrible at conflict, and after writing my horrendous, creptacular ability to uh, try and avoid conflict all the way to marriage therapy, I decided that. Yes, I needed to be tenacious again. So, after the marriage therapy 19 years ago, we've now celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. So, the tenacity,
0: Congratulations. <laughs>
1: thank you. Tenacity hangs in, but then the dedication to actually how do I help other people for whom conflict and the uh, the Really, the hatred of conflict, the complete um, apoplectic sweaty palmness of having to deal with conflict. How do I help those people to learn what I've learned the hard way? Hopefully, to learn it a slightly easier way. So, yes, same same storyline. Start with a belly flop and grow from there.
0: You know that's interesting. We're going to definitely tangent a lot in this. And one of the things <laughs> that I want to you mentioned about is learning the hard way. So, your thoughts on that? Do you do you feel that? learning the hard way is the best way to learn lessons, or is it a combination of learning from others' mistakes, then trying to incorporate into yourself? What are your thoughts on that process? Because I, yeah. I definitely have my own perspective on that.
1: <laughs> so I would love to learn the easy way. It's fantastic, much less painful. Uh and sadly, it just doesn't really work very well a lot of the time. Um, you know, emotions are what make learning salient, and what help us our brains are built to have things that are more emotional be more memorable and we learn better from them. We also learn better from fear than from success. <laughs> so um I wish and, and I do, I've dedicated my life to helping people learn some of this the easy way. And uh, I know that much of what we're gonna have to learn, we're gonna have to learn the hard way.
0: I agree. And that's the thing too, is that learning the hard way, I think, may elongate your process for success. But in order to get the success that you're looking for in life, you have to like you mentioned, is that that um, that emotional aspect of that failure is what's really going to sink in. And as a consultant myself, right, is is you know, you're trying to think about, okay, well. They're going to still end up learning the hard way one way or another. So where am I actually providing value? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah. the way I look at it as a both a teacher as well as a consultant is that giving them at least a guide, right? And just being at least aware that, okay, that these exist, these are the things that just be that are out there that you can make mistakes on so that if and when you make those mistakes, then hopefully you can recover better. Is I at I look I've
1: at. been watching a bunch of commencement speeches lately. And I think this is what commencement speeches are like these people who've had all these amazing, I was listening to the Taylor Swift NYU commencement speech. And it's like, you know, this person who's had 10 years or 15 years of, you know, learning all sorts of things the hard way and that sort of thing. And then, you know, a bunch of 22 year olds are listening to this. They, they can't relate to any of it. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's not me. I think these commencement speeches are just the like. The warning, the like, just so when this starts to happen to you, you vaguely recollect something you heard at some other point. So, yeah, I think commencement speeches, uh, commencement speakers are trying to sort of foreshadow some of these things that you will probably still need to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. But when you do, you'll go back and read the commencement address and be like, "Oh, should have listened."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, one of the ones that are my favorite. And I need to actually probably after I'm done with this interview, I'm going to watch it again. Is Steve Jobs' uh, commencement? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really good.
0: I mean, that's the thing about Steve Jobs is that he is probably one of the best presenters that I've ever witnessed. And his yeah. commencement speech is bar none. It's one of the, the best out there, especially because yeah. of the fact of that of you know him having cancer and his life scare, and he really dives into that in his commencement speech. I mean, what a better wake-up call yeah. than than that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So interesting. And those are just a fun moment to kind of get this glimpse of you know what are all the things that these people learned the hard way that they're trying to pass on the easy way even though it's a bit futile but you know who's really appreciating it the parents who are
0: like oh yeah <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah yeah dodging their kid yeah dodging <laughs> their kids see 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 you know
1: i'm about two years away from my elder daughter going through her convocation and I'll be the one listening to this commencement speech being like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's really, it's for us.
0: (laughs) So I do want to talk about uh, a conflict debt. Can you describe more about what conflict debt is?
1: (laughs) I tell this silly story to help people relate to it. So uh, I live in Toronto and many years ago they built this awesome new toll highway. Uh, that takes the picture of your license plate and sends you the bill. And I don't need to take the highway very often, but one time there was bad traffic, and I and I took it, and it was amazing. I went so fast, it was awesome. And then, uh, you know, six weeks later, I got a bill in the mail, like a physical paper bill in the mail, and they wanted me to write a check and put it in an envelope with a stamp and put it in a mailbox. Anyway, long story short, uh, my $7 charge for taking the highway um, about 18 months later, I paid $132 to a collections agency for it. Um, And that's kind of what conflict debt is like, you know, you're in some kind of you're at, you're at practice, you're at rehearsal, when your bandmates does something that kind of annoys you, or just, it's just kind of irritating. And you don't say anything because you don't want to make a fight or you you got other stuff to do. You got to practice a set or whatever. And so you kind of sweep it under the rug when it was a $7 issue. But then that night at the show, they do something that, you know, now you're already kind of frustrated with them. And so you don't interpret their behavior neutrally. Then you're like, oh, like, you know, typical, and then it builds and builds until there's some huge um, blowout when you're all together in a van in Schenectady. <laughs> it's really ugly, and somebody's like let out on the side of the highway and walking to the nearest town. That's the $132 version of the fight. So, you know, conflict debt is just this sort of buildup of issues that we don't address, uh, or at least we don't address constructively. Uh, that ultimately cost us and cost our relationships and cost our productivity and all those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, the $7 things that if we, if we dealt with them, they would have been cheap, but because we don't, they become very costly.
0: That's really interesting because first of all, I've seen that countless times for band members (laughs) from all kinds of bands of doing these things. And I'm also very much equally guilty among myself of doing this because I, And I know a number of people are like this. They want to avoid conflict as much as possible. They don't want to have that confrontation with somebody else because they don't want to hurt their feelings or make or feel like that they're making matters worse. So they try to, to brush it off saying "Yeah, it's not that big of a deal and so forth. And so I also know, too, that sometimes the, there are others that they will bring it up right away, but they bring it up so often that it actually builds because they are constantly conflicting with each other and that and self builds into a much bigger problem. So is there essentially a happy medium yeah. between bringing, uh, bringing up when something is bothering you, annoying you, and also not doing it so much where now it's annoyance to the other person?
1: Yeah, I think in the latter situation where you're bringing it up so often, the the gap is on the other person's account, right? So, So that means that the person doesn't feel that they've been heard or understood or valued, and so they feel they need to keep bringing it up. So when you're in a band or when you're in any team, if somebody's bringing something up for the third time, that should say to you, even if I thought I dealt with it or done something about it, they don't feel that way. I need to kind of lean into this, figure out what's going on beneath the, because probably that means that this isn't about what they're saying it's about. It's about something deeper. And I probably need to spend some time figuring out what's going on there. And uh, so I would say, in the case that somebody's coming back multiple times, I, I think that's where we want a lot more accountability from the bandmates, the other members of the team. Uh, as opposed to this person who just feels like why is nothing i'm doing working that's um that's a big issue
0: you also mentioned accountability as well and you just uh on upon this recording you just did a video all about accountability so um you went on a huge rant about it too about how people are misinterpreting what accountability is and so forth which i also find really fascinating so in the context of of band members right yeah. where you know that feeling of accountability can you talk a little bit more about that that particular.
1: Yeah. So we get accountability wrong because we think we can make somebody else accountable. So accountability it, the sense of accountability is something intrinsic to an individual, right? Either I feel it, I feel on the hook, I feel responsible, I feel the weight of how my bandmates are counting on me or I don't. Uh and you can't make me accountable you can certainly do things that make it more likely that I feel accountable, but you cannot, there's no dial that goes directly. There's no accountability pedal. You can can just press, right? So um, that's what people get wrong. Uh, And then what happens is because we forget that and we think we can make people accountable, the other thing we get wrong all the time is when somebody is not taking accountability we kind of save their butts. And, and then all we've done when we save their butts is we showed them that they don't have to be accountable because we're going to be. So I'm sure every band can relate to this in some way. Like the person who has forgotten to pack the amp six shows in a row. And, you're, and so you start packing the amp. You put it onto your list. because And, and then all of a sudden, the other person's like, Mike's so great to have around. He, he always makes... Right. Like just you have taught them that they don't have to be accountable because that's easier than having the really uncomfortable situation of arriving in Schenectady without an amp. But if that had happened, probably wouldn't happen again. Right. If we go back to our point about emotions are what salient, they help us learn. So, again, learning the easy way, because, you know, like Sally says, like, hey, Mike, can you add the amp to your checklist? Probably isn't going to work, but that one show where nobody can hear you because you aren't amped. (laughs) Yep. Right. So I think that's what we get wrong in accountability. We we miss the consequences and the things that would be natural consequences that increase the salience of somebody letting the team down. And instead, we replace it with sort of making sure no ball drops and, and instead transferring accountability onto us, which just doesn't work.
0: It doesn't. And it's interesting you mentioned that because not only between band members is that I've seen that being constant problem where you have one member band member that is constantly forgetting whether to practice or to bring the right equipment arrive on time and things like that, too. And then some other band members feel that they have to essentially take that on that accountability and either vouch for the band, other band member or to take on additional roles that that other band member was was going to do. But also on top of that too, is the role of representation with an artist because that also happens constantly too. And I am totally guilty (laughs) of this. I have saved, like I have put out so many fires for my artists. It's not even funny. And what's interesting though, is that that is part of the role as manager and label is to help artists out with those things. And I find that is very challenging to... To find, and it's really about the expectations, which we'll get into a second about expectations, but it's really about those expectations because that role of manager, it is part of your responsibility to making sure that things are taken care of. And if there's a problem, a conflict that we're the ones who are resolving it, but the same token too, though, is that if we're doing it too much or too often, then the artist is not, is not going to feel any kind of accountability to themselves for what they're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I think in, in the case of the manage, manager in that situation, what you're trying to do is understand what are the things that really are on your list? You know, these are the things I am going to be accountable for. Um, and then what's on the artist's list and not taking things off of their list. So you're going to have a long list. That's why you're paid. That's why you yep. get a cut. Right. Um, that's great the key thing is making sure that you're not you know hey we've agreed that these are the things that you're going to be responsible for showing up on time or you know making sure you have the right equipment or practicing or whatever else um and those are the things that you want to not jump in and save the day every once in a while you have to let a ball drop so that uh they they realize and have that kind of salient thing so you know, we see this going wrong right from childhood. I I watched other parents who, you know, their kid would get to school and they would forget to pack their lunch and their soccer cleats. And I would see like clients, like in the downtown at big business meetings, trying to like make it home somehow between meetings to pick up the lunch and the soccer cleats, because otherwise the kid wouldn't eat and be able to play soccer. I'm like, mm, it only takes one lunch where you're eating the like mushed up goldfish crackers from the bottom of your backpack before you don't forget to <laughs> pack your lunch. But we're doing the equivalent of, you know, constantly still bringing the lunch to adults. <laughs> and so we we teach them that they can just keep behaving that way. And sure, if you're I don't know, pick the artist if you're Janice Joplin or you're like whomever, Justin Bieber. I don't know, maybe it's worth it. (laughs) Maybe, maybe Scooter Braun is willing to save the day in, in places where, like, hey, that's the deal and it's worth it. There's genius, and genius is fragile, and so I'm willing to be everything but. But, you know, for the most part, it's not best practice. Best practice is certainly to. Let let the odd ball drop and and let them feel the heat, Uh, not you.
0: So it's interesting. I I definitely want to go down this path a little bit further, because one of the things that is being brought up so much these days is mental health, which I think is a very important subject to discuss and hasn't been discussed enough. And. The other thing, though, I've been noticing, though, is that with mental health is that people are explaining when they have issue, you know, when they have an issue, whether it's an anxiety or something along those lines. And I can also sometimes see that it's being can be used as an excuse for yeah. lack of accountability and so, uh, what were your thoughts in that process? Because that's the other thing that I'm always concerned about is making sure that I'm very aware of others' mental health and making sure that I'm taking care of them as as their representation. Um, but also, and also band members as well. If somebody's having, you know, and you know, a, an anxiety issue, or they're just having, they're just being depressed for the day and they just mentally cannot uh, commit yeah. themselves to rehearsal, are they using that as a crutch? uh, for, for, uh, essentially, uh, you know, removing themselves from a lack of accountability or yeah. is that there's something valid there that has to be respected?
1: Yeah. So mental illness is, um, scary and self-perpetuating and a vicious cycle and very real and something we need to take very seriously. Um, you know, one of the things I would say is that, um, one of the things that can make life a lot harder is actually when you don't have boundaries, when you don't have consequences, you know, there are lots of people who live with anxiety, depression, things like that for a very long time because they have a lot of structure in their lives. So think about somebody who's, you know, in a union and and, and works in a shop and has to punch a punch card. You know, it's incredible. They, for the most part, get themselves there, punch their card, do their job and go home because the clear boundaries are there, but now think about how careers like music take so many of those things away and can leave isolation, can leave you know long periods of um, you know of being able to stew in your own thoughts. Where you know musicians are often super creative people who take that big powerful brain and turn it into a self-inflicted wound, right? So uh, you know, I think the first thing is don't be afraid of it, right? If you're a bandmate, if you're a manager, don't be afraid of it. Do continue to have these conversations about what's on on your responsibility list and what's on mine. And it might be that when somebody has a mental illness, you want to shrink their list while it's a struggle for them. But with anxiety, for example, you don't get to stay in the band if you're not going to practice but we are absolutely here to have a conversation about, would it help for you to just zoom in today because you just can't face leaving the house today? Okay. That's workable. Would it work to say, you know, we're only going to, you're going to practice with only one other bandmate today because you just, you kind of can't cope with all. So, you know, I don't want people to move away from the boundaries, right? And the this is what it takes to be in this band or the consequences of this is when you're gonna be out of the band. Um, but just keeping that conversation open that what's on their list might need to shrink or change or various coping strategies, but I'd be working more toward coping strategies. And here's your responsibilities, like take your meds on time. You own that, go, go to your counseling sessions, uh, show up on time like you may have a very short list. That's all you ask of them and you'll cover the weight of everything else for them for a time. But um, unless somebody is profoundly ill and and probably needs to be hospitalized or that sort of thing, you know, don't just back away. They need you to create a little structure in a world that probably has too little structure for them.
0: You're talking about also saying that uh, expectations and boundaries and things like that too. So what are your thoughts on agreements amongst band members i know entertainment lawyers will say always have an agreement because for for a uh, law's perspective yeah. that is is it's important to have something in writing which yeah. i 100 agree with yeah the other uh, what i've also found too is that sometimes with agreements especially something that is formal right is that some people take that uh interpret that in the wrong way I find and sometimes they feel it's it's too impersonal and they're just yeah. doing this for fun or they just yeah. they want to kind of they don't want to take it as seriously whatever the case is so what are your thoughts on having written agreements among spam members
1: yeah I think it makes a ton of sense and it's one of those things that you know it may not feel great or but sometimes as adults we have to do things that you know, we just, that's adulting, right? We got, we got to do it. Um, but I would say for many, it's not sufficient. So one, we write these documents that, you know, you write a document when you're busking in the subway. And then all of a sudden you have some massive breakout hit on Spotify and you're, you're touring and you're right. The agreement becomes out of date so quickly. So I would say, You know, you also want, you know, along with any agreement, you want to process what's, you know, when are we reviewing this? What's our formal, like, is it a quarterly band meeting? And and if so, are we going to have somebody to help us have that conversation? That's probably a good investment. Um, And then, you know, absolutely, you know, in addition to having the rules, I would say, what are our guiding principles? Uh, Like, how are we going to make decisions that haven't come up yet, that we can't even imagine yet? What are the four things that are kind of our code and that are, you know, so where does the band fit with the rest of our lives? So that may be a really important thing. You know, a couple band members have families and a couple don't so you know what are our guiding principles around you know where this fits relative to our families um where do things fit relative to so if you watch the peter jackson beatles documentary you know they got into a lot of trouble around george harrison not feeling valued not feeling his songs got to hit the albums do we have guiding principles around collaboration around making sure everybody gets, or is it, you know, the, the principle is always whatever best serves the music. And so it may not be equal or even, but having some of those guiding principles up front, um, because contracts are great for kind of what is known and what is concrete. I think musicians can handle more of the abstract and more of the, you know, what matters to us, uh, And that will help us make decisions when we couldn't even imagine we'd be in this situation. But let's go back to these things that have always been core and foundational.
0: So let's go back to for a second to conflict debt because you were talking before about making sure that you're handling a seven dollar issue instead of a hundred and forty dollar issue. Which I love that <laughs> analogy, by the way. That's so amazing.
1: Oh, sure, I love it now, now <laughs> that I've been partying with my. I know, husband. but you know, it,
0: it, I think I think it rings true for all of us. We, we like it's. Uh, I like I like to put a burying your head in the sand kind of a thing. Like I don't want to deal with this, and you just bury your hand in this head in the yeah, sand. Exactly, <laughs> and. Uh, and we're all, I think we're all guilty of doing that and so forth. And it's true is that if you just approached it right away, you're avoiding so much more of a consequence later on, but in the case scenario, and I'm going to say when, not even if, yeah, when, yeah. Happens, when and especially for let, let's say, for example, um, there was a $7 conflict that you had with a band member and now it became a $140 conflict, right. right. And now there is some resentment between your, your team, you know, bandmates, whatever the case is and so forth is there a way to go about trying to repair that relationship or should it even be repaired? Uh, how, you know, what happens? I don't know, at, is I think, this like of,
1: an Oasis situation where it's like never going to be repaired? Never, or... never
0: going to be repaired. Yeah. Cause, like, you know, Cause sometimes there, there are points in relationships where it's really challenging to repair and sometimes it's best to, you know, to, you know, try to part ways best, best way possible. Um, or, or can like it, or can all replace rel- relationships be repaired.
1: I don't know. I love the ABBA example, right? It's like we're yeah. all married and we all got divorced and now we're gonna go on tour as holograms. That's safer. <laughs> <laughs> that Could I just send my hologram to Yeah, do yeah
0: that's cool. I just don't have to deal with anybody else. Just send, send my presents. I
1: <laughs> would have saved Fleetwood Mac a lot of troubles, I think.
0: Yeah, No um, kidding.
1: So yes, I think it can often uh be repaired. Um and so a couple things. So one is, you know when you have had a $7 conflict with someone, they often don't know that they have had a $7 conflict with you. They they don't know that. That's yours. (laughs) They don't know. And so that leaves you in very, very different situations. And often somebody then blows up or, or even raises the issue constructively, but it feels like an ambush, on the other person like where did that come from and what do you mean you've been stewing for two months about something that happened when we were in wichita that you never mentioned at the time so the first thing is a heads up just you know what i've been thinking about this uh you know the line i love which is a brene brown line is um and here's the story i've been telling myself right so what that says is i've got this story going on in my head that's probably resentment and whatever else but it does name it as a story it, it then doesn't say that this is true or this you did this um and then you just simply say you know uh, i would love to to talk with you about this i'd love to get your take on this can we talk about this or you know i i'd love to practice or after practice on wednesday you know i need to talk to you about this so a heads up is really valuable because when we ambush people, we're more likely to trigger that fight or flight response. And then it's more likely to turn into a pretty unpleasant fight. So heads up first. Second concept, when you're when you're talking about somebody else, you want to be super careful to only describe what you saw or heard, things that are real, things that happened, observations. You don't want to judge the person. You don't want to use any adjectives. You don't want to call them rude. You don't want to call them lazy. You don't, You you simply want to say um, you arrived at practice at half past when, when it started at six, right? You want to be very objective. And then the other secret is when you're talking about yourself, do the opposite. So give them the view, the insider candid view about how you're interpreting it, what you're feeling, how you're thinking about it, uh, how it's injuring you, those sorts of things. So great productive conflict focuses on things that are very objective if you're talking about somebody else and very subjective when you're talking about yourself so through this path you can kind of share this is how i experienced that um and then you want to hand over the baton to say it's like um it's like solos going around a band okay i did my solo now over to you uh, and you get your eight bars to tell me how you experienced the same thing um so there absolutely is a path back but you don't want to just kind of you know raise the issue out of nowhere like pulling the pin from the grenade when the other person doesn't have a heads up you want to be a little thoughtful about it you also want to kind of interrogate your own emotions so when we get upset it's because we are judging other people you don't get upset if you aren't judging people so it's like okay why do i feel like Uh, she's lazy. What is it that's making me make that judgment? Well, it's this, 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 and this. Okay. So before you say anything to her, have your examples of what the behavior was that's making you assume, or if it was rude or um, not valuing me or whatever else it is that you're judging them about, put the effort in to know what did I see or hear that's, that's making me feel that way, that I'm interpreting that way. So it's totally possible. And then are there times when you're not going to have a path back and you may need a decade before the reunion tour? Yes. Yes. There are times when it just, it hurts too much. It's too personal. Um, You aren't mentally healthy enough to cope with it in the moment. Uh, And yeah, there are times when I always say, if you can't change your team, change your team, right? And sometimes that's the right path for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Also, one thing, it may seem obvious, but I also do want to bring this up, too, is that when there are conflicts, especially amongst a group, is it better to bring this up as a group or is it better to approach it to the individual privately?
1: Great question. Great question. Um, it, So you really want to think about that. If the issue is about an individual, I would say you do want to talk to the individual first. Um out of respect, out of, you know, you don't want the individual feeling persecuted or everybody bullying them or ganging up on them. That's not going to get you anywhere good. So I think if it's something very specific about one person's behavior, the other thing that comes up a lot is, you know, can I talk to my other bandmates about it before I talk to, you know, Jimmy? Um, And I would say you can, There are a couple of things that are appropriate and one that's really inappropriate. So you might go to Sally to say, okay, hey, there's something going down with Jimmy. You want to follow that rule of only talking objectively about what you saw or heard. So Jimmy showed up at 630 for the third practice in a row. You can say that to somebody else. That's totally fine. Then it's fair game to talk about yourself. You can vent. Like, I am so frustrated. I'm like, I'm thinking of calling it quits. I'm really struggling with this. Um, you can say things about yourself. That's completely fair to say to a third party. What you, you can also ask for advice. Okay, I need to actually broach this with Jimmy. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Is that, how else could I say it? You know, Do you think that'll land well? All of that completely legit what's not legit is to talk about Jimmy when Jimmy's not there. So no gossip. Um, So you can talk about yourself when the third person isn't there, but you can't talk about them. So that's the only rule. So it can be really helpful to talk to somebody else. And a manager would be a great person in this circumstance, or somebody you trust outside the band would be great um, to help you be ready, be prepared, uh, and then go talk to Jimmy. In terms of when to talk to the whole band together. I think it's more if there are issues uh, and yet it's not any one person. So if you were to say, I feel like uh, our music isn't getting better fast enough and I don't know how to solve for that and I don't know what it is or what's behind it or whatever. Or I feel like we're starting to go in different directions creatively. Um, Like I can, I feel like you can tell, you know, who's one person's song on the, who's a Leanne song on the album and who's a Mike, and they don't fit on an album together anymore. So I think if it's, it's more issues. And so the tip I have for you there, many of us are always told don't come with a problem, come with a solution. And it's actually quite terrible advice when you're talking about a team. Cause if you come in and say, I think the next album needs to be X, you just give people a target to shoot at and you kind of overstep and, So I think the best thing is, if it's a band issue, go in and and share what you think is the issue. Um, You know, I feel like we're, you know, we're amazing on the road and then we're also exhausted when we come back that we aren't, you know, getting back into the studio fast enough or like, you know, do you guys agree that this is an issue what do you think we could do? So it's really helpful to, you know, kind of come to team issues by framing up the issue without framing up the solution necessarily. So it depends, it, you know, if it's an individual, you want to talk to the individual privately, but you can do things to be better prepared. If it's a if it's a team thing, don't come in straight with a solution, guns a blazing. Um, come in with a an issue and, and ask if you can kind of talk talk through it.
0: So real quick, I do want to uh, jump into something completely different from conflict, and that one of the things I I've, you also mentioned in a video is burn it, bullet journalism. So can you talk more about bullet journalism, what that is? Yeah, there you go. So my bullet <laughs> for, the video, for the video version, you can see, uh, but um. So yeah. can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah. I, I did find that really fascinating. I think also it could be very beneficial for artists and, and anybody really in the music. Oh, I,
1: I think it's a great one for artists. Really, really great. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I think it's Ryder Carroll. It's Ryder is his first name. And you can just look it up on um, on YouTube. There's amazing, the guy who invented it. So I've been talking a lot about how overwhelmed we are and how much is coming at us at any given time. And I talk about that as the difference between we have our workload, the stuff we have to get done, and we have our thought load, all the stuff we're worried about (laughs) that not necessarily productive. So I find bullet journaling is a technique and essentially all bullet journaling does is it segments a year into months, weeks and days. And it allows you when you have that intrusive thought, like you are in Schenectady and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, you know, I forgot to actually, you know, take my car to get the winter tires on, right? Give this thought and it's going to bug you because you know you haven't got a place to put it and so what we normally do is we have a to-do list and a to-do list i don't know about you but to-do lists just make me more anxious they oh get me longer too. and longer yeah they're they're awful there's a there's a there's them. a thing called
0: task creep um that i've yes. that i i'm very equally guilty of doing is that yeah. they just you, they just become so overwhelming because you have so many tasks and you're like ah, i'll do it tomorrow i'll do it tomorrow right. it tomorrow and then and every then... day
1: you have to look at your list and be reminded that you're a slacker and you haven't moved everything off the list so yep. essentially what you do in bullet journaling is you write the thing down where you're actually going to do it. So like if I have a thought now about putting on my winter tires in October, the bullet journal actually has a spot where I can write down things to remember in October. And so on the 1st of October when I'm setting up for the month of October, I'm like, oh, I have to remember to put that in. And if on Monday I have a thought about like I oh, have I haven't done this, but I know I'm not going to do it Monday, I can only do it when I have some time on Friday Then I write it directly on Friday and that way. uh, It's a psychology phenomenon called the zagarnik effect when we sort of create closure by writing something down it comes out of our working memory. And it's not going to we're not going to think about it again until Friday, only because we've actually put it down on Friday if it was just on a to do list. it would still be in there kind of cluttering our heads. So bullet journaling has been, and I think one of the reasons it's great for musicians is that first of all, like a bullet journal is actually, you know, this is a blank page in the bullet journal. You create the template to work with your life but it's great for people with noisy minds. Um, And certainly you can find on Instagram or YouTube examples of people who would have a page in their bullet journal for like this great one line of lyrics came to me and I just need somewhere to write it down. But if you write it on like these sort of sticky things that you like you lose or whatever, you lose this great line. If you have one place, the other thing that's great about it is it's analog, right? It's, It's a pen and it's paper. Uh, and we know the brain processes of pen and paper are different uh, and more salient than uh, than digital so bullet journaling has become very important in my life and hopefully uh and i have a on my youtube channel i have a video about how i bullet journal hopefully it'll be useful to folks whose noisy minds are driving them a bit cuckoo
0: Oh, absolutely! And in fact, I found I was watching the video just before the interview and found it really amazing because I totally have a noisy mind. I might—that's uh, why I'm an entrepreneur—is that I'm I'm always thinking about things all over the place. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, I have to do this. Oh yeah, that's right, I have to do this. And um, I don't mind like probably showing a little bit. I'm going to turn my camera here, but I have a <laughs> whiteboard here. <laughs> that's like yeah, that. And I it's recognize a
1: that. Yeah.
0: And it's a total mess, but it's, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm actually myself in trying to improve upon it because of that reason I use, I use, uh, uh, task management systems myself, but I yeah. was totally into task creep. And I honestly banded the entire thing for six months because yeah. I just didn't like, I, I couldn't figure out how to be better tracked, especially when it comes to, you know, when you have deadlines on things and so forth of when, Do I compartmentalize my mind to deal with it? And also what my mental state is too, because sometimes like, okay, I'll have this set for Friday, but my mental state is not to handle that thing on Friday. And do I absolutely have to take care of that on Friday or can I bump it out? And then again, you have the issue of test creep where now you have all these other issues going up alongside with it too. (laughs) And it's it's a constant struggle. And I know a lot of artists face that too, because again, that's how their mind works is that it gets very busy with lots of ideas and things like that too. And of course. Uh, I, I don't you
1: definitely I, want to take advantage of the Zagarnik effect when you, yeah. so the way they discovered the Zagarnik effect was looking at waitresses. And what happens is if you have a, or waiters, if you have a very busy restaurant with, you know, multiple tables and multiple people until this, the service person has cashed them out, they can tell you what every person at the seats has ordered and it's still sitting in their working memory, as soon as they cash them out, even if they're still sitting at the table, it's gone. They can't recall. So we wow. know that our brains kind of hold on to stuff that we haven't found. We haven't had closure with, or we haven't found a receptacle for. So yeah. Quiet your noisy mind with a bullet journal and let me know how it goes.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I have a journal. I, it's a very messy journal. So now it's like, how do I organize the yeah. journal in a certain way? So, yeah. I found that really fascinating. So, talk more about your book. You have a book out called The Good Fight. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: I do. So, you know, given that I completely suck at conflict, uh, I decided a few years ago that that was wrecking my career, my promotion possibilities, my marriage, uh, all sorts of things, and that I better figure this out. And so once I set myself to figuring this out, I decided that it would probably be nice of me to to share what I learned the hard way. And so the good fight is really in three sections. How do we deal with our conflict baggage and all of the voices in our head from, you know, from everywhere in our lives that tell us that conflict is unprofessional or unproductive or unladylike for me. Um, How do we deal with that? And how do we change our mindset about the value of having great conflict? And then a section on, okay, but how do I actually do it so that I don't, you know, throw the whole band off track or um, I don't, you know, ruin our relationships or completely stress myself out. So I have, you know, a very prescriptive section about like, what are the words? How would I even make that sentence? and then finally the last section which i'm really proud of is uh, you know how do we move beyond conflict as an event and move to conflict as a as a habit, or as I like to describe it, how do we get away from conflict being like root canal and more like flossing. So if our band can floss, you know, a couple times a week have those $7 conversations, uh, then we avoid having to have the $140 conversations or have the root canal. So um, that's the third section. So that's the good fight.
0: That's amazing. I'll definitely have to take a take a read on that. That sounds really fascinating. So thank Great. you so much, Leanne. I know your time is very valuable. So, um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. this. Was, this was a blast. I actually love talking about this stuff and I hope <laughs> everyone gets something out of this too. I mean, it's just, you know, conflict in general. It's it's unavoidable. You will have that throughout your entire life. Yes. And so it's so important to to find ways to handle it.
1: Yeah, when you find yourself walking down the side of the highway in Schenectady because you've been kicked out of the bus. So, (laughs) absolutely.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020 records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.